Welcome to the Sunday Sermon Podcast of First United Methodist Church in Opelika. We'd love for you to join us for worship each Sunday at 9 o'clock or 10.30 a.m. To learn more about First United Methodist, visit us online at fumcopelika.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook at fumcopelika. Thanks for tuning in. Amen. That is our hope. That God in Christ is making all things new. That God in Christ is making the dead alive. So thank you, Chancel Choir, for leading us in worship. At this time, the kids already know what to do, but if you're second grade and younger, uh, you can follow Miss Drew to your children's time. Uh, She will take you where you need to go. Uh, For the rest of you who are staying, I will invite you to uh, take out your Bible if you have it with you. Uh, Go ahead and turn with me uh, to Galatians chapter 1, Galatians chapter 1, and I will invite you as you are able to stand for the reading of God's Word. Paul writes to the churches of Galatia, A grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to set us free from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, But there are some who are confusing you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should proclaim to you a gospel contrary to what we proclaim to you, let that one be accursed. As we have said before, so now I repeat, if anyone proclaims to you a gospel contrary to what you received, let that one be accursed." This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We're going to pray, but having heard that scripture, I hope as we pray, you will pray for me. Let us pray. Living God, speak to me. Speak through me. If necessary, speak in spite of me, but always beyond me. God, as you speak, give to us open ears, soft hearts, and courageous minds, that we might be shaped by your word, and our lives might be ordered according to your wisdom, which orders all things for good. Hear this our prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, His name may not be printed on the front of your bulletin, but Ryan Hollitz is a saint. You might as well hang a halo around his head. He's a hero of the faith. You might say he's a champ for the gospel. And isn't that what we mean by the word we celebrate today? Isn't that what we mean when we call someone a saint. Maybe you saw the story. Albuquerque police officer Ryan Hollitz responded to a routine call reporting a convenience store robbery. 
As Officer Hollitz later told the press, he assumed that this was just a mundane assignment that he could quickly clear from the call log. Officer Hollitz dealt with the dispatch, exited the convenience store, and was returning to his squad car when out of the corner of his eye, he saw a ragged-looking couple sitting in the grass up against a cement wall near a dumpster. When Officer Hollitz approached the couple, he noticed they were shooting up heroin in broad daylight. As he crept closer to them, he saw something that shocked him. One of the women sitting there shooting up was eight months pregnant. The junkie mother-to-be looked up dazed at Officer Hollitz. She told Officer Hollitz that her name was Crystal Champ and she was 35 years old. Seeing her there, pregnant and shooting up, Officer Hollett started to scold her. Or as the Apostle Paul might say, Officer Hollett started preaching the law at her. What are you doing, he said. You're going to kill your baby. The law, as the Apostle Paul says, only and always accuses. That's what it did to Crystal Champ, too. Initially, she responded to Officer Hollett's scolding and lawling by getting defensive and angry. How dare you judge me, she said. I know what I should and shouldn't do. I know what a terrible person I am, what a terrible situation I am in. Officer Hollett's left his body camera on as he exited the convenience store and approached the couple. The video shows him scolding Crystal Champ, interrogating her, preaching the law at her for over ten minutes until Crystal Champ starts to weep. And then she confessed. She told Officer Hollitz that she has prayed desperate prayers for someone to come along and adopt her baby. It's on the body cam footage. You can watch it. Something about that word adopt changed Officer Hollitz. Something about that word adopt altered his tone and his countenance. He pulled out his wallet. He showed her a picture of his wife and his four children. And then crouching down in front of her, he said, I'll adopt your baby. You can see it in the footage. Crystal Champ looked up at Officer Hollitz, absolutely stunned by this gratuitous gesture of grace. Officer Hollitz forgot to shut off his body camera. So the rest of the footage shows him driving home to find his wife to tell her the news. <laughs> Listen, honey, <laughs> um, so I met this pregnant woman shooting up heroin and I offered for us to adopt her baby. And on camera, without hesitation, as though something compelled her, his wife said, okay. Crystal Champ gave birth to a baby girl the following month. Officer Hollins and his wife and took her in, and they named her Hope. 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 They named her Hope. Today is All Saints Sunday, which seems like as good a day as any to tell you this story, right? 
I mean, surely Ryan Hollitz, he's the kind of Christian we're talking about when we talk about saints. He's got everything but the halo, right? He's a modern-day icon. What he did for Crystal Champ makes him a champ of the faith. He's a saint. The problem, though, the problem is that singular stained-glass heroes is not how the New Testament talks about saints. When we think of saints, we think of persons of exceptional piety. When we think of saints, we think of persons of extraordinary virtue. When we think of saints, we think of role models of righteousness. And in medieval Catholic paintings, artists always gilded the saints with bigger halos than everyone else. But in the New Testament, saints are not examples of godly living. They are not straight-A students in the school of holier-than-thou. And that's why over 500 years ago, Martin Luther and the Reformers uh, tore down all of that artwork from church altars. Think about it this way. If saints were role models for righteousness, right living, and right doing, then you can be darn sure that Paul would have never called the uh, Christians in Corinth saints. Saints would be the last word you'd use to describe the Corinthians. That would be like calling Crystal Champ a saint. And yet, it's exactly how Paul addresses his letter to the Corinthians, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those saints in Christ Jesus. But if you read the rest of his letters to the Corinthians, you'll discover that the church in Corinth was more messed up in a Bible-bad kind of way than a Las Vegas bachelor party. The congregants in Corinth, those supposed saints, they were having inappropriate relations with their mothers-in-law. Yes, it's in your Bible. These so-called saints in Corinth, they were getting drunk on communion wine. Apparently they were mean drunks too, because they kept the poor from sitting at the communion table with them. Saints? There's a reason that Paul had to lecture them that love is patient and kind because they weren't any kind of either. But Paul calls them saints. It's not just the Corinthians. The Ephesians, despite being one body in Jesus Christ, the Ephesians persisted in their sin of treating strangers and immigrants like strangers and immigrants. And even though the Ephesians did not practice what he preached, Paul calls them saints. What about the Christians in Rome? Paul didn't even know them. He only knew uh, that they had a serious problem with making distinctions between good people and bad people, but despite their prideful behavior, Paul calls them saints. Same goes for the Philippians. Paul calls them saints from his jail cell, all of them. But when you get to Paul's letter to the Galatians, He doesn't call them saints. Not one of them. Nada. It is conspicuously absent from his letter. And when it comes to the Galatians, Paul is ticked off. Have you read it? His letter to the Galatians sounds more like an angry election season Facebook rant than an epistle. 
Not only does Paul refuse to call the Galatians saints, he also skips past the customary salutations. Instead, Paul grabs them by the collar and gets down to brass tacks right in verse 4, reminding them of the gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to set us free from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. By the time you get to verse 7, Paul's calling them perverts, cursing at them, calling down God's judgment upon them. Why is Paul so grumpy with the Galatians? Why aren't they saints? They weren't fornicating with their in-laws. They weren't turning the communion table into a keg stand. They weren't neglecting the poor among them. They weren't treating strangers and immigrants with suspicion. As far as behavior goes, the Galatians were better than all the rest. The Galatians were role models for right living. They were singular stained glass do-gooders. The Galatians were so hardcore that they exhorted one another to be super disciples. And how can super disciples not be reckoned as saints? If any of the early churches should get gilded with bigger halos, it's the Galatians. Yet somehow, Holy Scripture does not call them saints. Why? Why? The letter to the Galatians is proof that deep down, and despite what we sing and say on Sundays, we're addicted to bad news not the good news. Like a lot of Christians today, including some of you in this room, the Galatians assumed that they had advanced beyond needing to hear the gospel of Christ and him crucified every week. I mean, everybody knows that Jesus died for their sins, right? We don't need to hear that Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Come on, preacher, get to the good stuff. Tell us what we're supposed to do now. The Galatians took the gospel for granted, and in so doing, they turned to another gospel, which is no gospel at all, Paul says, for it nullifies the gospel. And this other gospel, it says that it isn't enough for Christians to trust that Christ's faithfulness alone saves God has wiped our slate clean in Jesus Christ, but this other gospel says that God will one day judge us based on what we've done with that new slate. The other gospel in Galatia, it said that God has done his part. Now you better get busy doing your part, faithfully following every single command, all of them. In other words, in taking the gospel for granted, the Galatians had reverted back to the law. As Paul goes on to say in chapter 2, if God in any way regards us based on our obedience— then Jesus Christ came, and Jesus Christ died, and Jesus Christ was raised for absolutely nothing. This is why Paul is so amped up over the Galatians' other gospel. Because Scripture does not say that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us on the condition that eventually we would become the kinds of people that no one would ever have to die for, otherwise the deal's off. Jesus Christ came, 
And Jesus Christ still comes to us in word and water and in wine. Jesus Christ comes not to repair the repairable or correct the correctable or improve the improvable. Jesus Christ came to raise the dead. And Christ still comes to raise you who are dead in your trespasses. That's the gospel. I've only been in full-time ministry for five and a half years, but I've done enough funerals to testify firsthand that corpses don't contribute anything to their resurrection. I'm going to let you sit with that. Corpses don't contribute anything to their resurrection. Paul's whole letter to the Galatians in six words is this, Christ plus anything equals nothing. Christ plus anything equals nothing. And so the easiest way to annul the gospel is to add to it. The easiest way to annul the unconditional promise of the gospel is to add obligations to it. This is what you must do now as a Christian. This is who you must be now as a Christian. This is the lifestyle you must have now as a Christian. This is who you ought to be now. This is who you must vote for now. This is the issue you must advocate for now. No. The quickest way to annul the gospel is to add modifiers to it. Progressive Christian. Conservative Christian. Social justice Christian. Family values Christian. Inclusive Christian, traditional Christian. No. Just Christ and Him crucified and raised for our sake, full stop. The Christian message is not the army's message. It's not be all you can be now. The promise of the gospel is that in your baptism, you have already died with Christ. You have been crucified with him for all your sins, and through your trust in that promise, all of you, warts and all, all of you are in him. The easiest way to erase the gospel is to add to it. Be better. Do better. Build a better world. The gospel is a different message entirely. The gospel message is not, here's what you should do, or you must do, or you ought to do. The gospel message is about what God in Christ has done and is doing and will one day do for you. That's the point behind Paul's passion. Any other gospel is no gospel at all. In fact, it's our condemnation. Any other gospel turns the medicine of grace into a slow-acting poison. That's why Paul calls down curses in today's text. He's alluding to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 27, verse 26, where God warns those who are his people that if they are to abide by his law, they must obey the law perfectly. When it comes to the law, we can't pick and choose. So when it comes to our perfect obedience to the law, we all fall short. Not one of us is righteous. Not one. When it comes to the commands of God, there is no A for effort. There is no B plus for good intentions. It's all or nothing. And if you don't obey at all, then you'll be accursed. 
Paul is so amped up because the stakes are so high. This other gospel in Galatia will be their undoing because the demand of the law is it must be fulfilled perfectly. The demand of the law is that it must be fulfilled perfectly. But Christ has already fulfilled the law perfectly. He was perfect as his Father in heaven is perfect for you. In Christ's perfect record, it's your inheritance, Scripture says. Notice, the Bible doesn't call it your wage, something you earn, something you deserve. Scripture says it is your inheritance, something gifted to you freely by way of another's death. And friends, that is better than deserving. Christ's perfect record, his righteousness, it's something you only need to receive in trust. All you have to do is trust the promise. All you have to do is trust the promise. That's why Paul doesn't call them saints. They don't trust the promise. They think it's too good to be true, so they hedge their bets just in case. The word saint, sanctus, it simply means holy. But what theologian Robert Jensen says is that what makes the God of the Old and New Testaments holy in distinction from you and me is God's ability to make and keep unconditional promises. Let me say that again. What makes God holy in distinction from you and me is God's ability to make and keep unconditional promises. Therefore, what constitutes you and me, God's people, as holy is not decency or cleanliness, propriety or temperance, civility or sobriety. The God who comes to us in Jesus Christ, eating and drinking with scoundrels and sinners— He reserved his harshest words for those who presumed that they were holy in that way. If part of what makes God holy is God's ability to make and keep unconditional promises, then what makes us holy is trusting the promise. And so holiness is not about behavior. Holiness is about belief. Trusting the promise of God. Holiness is not about being good or doing good. Holiness is about trusting the good work that God has done for you in Jesus Christ. Which means, saints are not those who manage to live their lives carrying around their necks bigger and heavier halos. Saints are just sinners who trust the promise. Saints are just sinners who know by faith that they have been rescued. Saints are just sinners who know by faith that they have been adopted. So I take back what I said earlier. Saints are not champs of the faith like Officer Ryan Hollitz. Saints are more like crystal champ. Crystal Champ had been homeless for over two years when Officer Hollitz encountered her. 
She'd been battling addiction since she was a teenager, scraping just enough money together to score hits. And she had tried before multiple times to get clean. Listen to what she told the press. Quote, I've tried to be good. I've tried to do good. I've tried to change. And every time I failed, it held me captive. Every time I tried to save myself, it just kept coming back to ruin my life. Not incidentally, Crystal Champ has been clean and sober for four years now. When asked what made the difference this time, when asked what was different between all the other times on and off the wagon, Crystal Champ chalked it up to her rescue. She chalked it up to the nature of her undeserved rescue. She remembered the change in Officer Hollett's countenance, how he crouched down and got on her level to make his offer. I'll adopt your baby. She said, quote, It was like all of the sudden he became like one of us, a human being, not high and mighty. The way he rescued me, I didn't deserve it. I guess that changed me. Friends, hear the good news. If super disciples like the Galatians are not saints, then saints are not sinless, stained-glass heroes. They're just sinners who trust the promise. And that's why on All Saints, we can light so many candles for so many imperfect people. That's why we can light candles for them without lying about them. That's why we can call them saints without crossing our fingers or biting our tongues. Because the crazy fun and foolishness of the gospel is that when it comes to holiness, the bar ain't that high. Saints are just sinners without a trust problem. Saints are just sinners who know they've been rescued, who know they've been adopted, and whose rescue and adoption gives birth to hope. Let us pray. Almighty God, in this present evil age, with rival messages all around us, I pray that we would be a people who keep the good news of the gospel ever before us. And I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would grant us the grace necessary to trust that the promise is enough. Amen.